0: Hello, everybody. My name's Ben Horton. You may recognise me. I'm one of the co-hosts of Undercurrents, the Chatham House podcast. Well, I hope you're keeping well out there as we uh, enter our third week of lockdown in the UK. I am here to bring you a bonus episode this week, which will interrupt our regular programming. Undercurrents will return the following week um, after Easter. Today, I just wanted to share with you actually a snippet from one of our other new podcast series, The Climate Briefing, which is only two episodes old so far, but it's a monthly podcast from our Energy, Environment and Resources program. And we will be exploring over the course of this year, a whole spectrum of issues relating to climate change, climate action, and how governments and institutions are responding to the climate emergency. In this interview, I spoke to Jennifer Austin, who is a policy director from the We Mean Business Coalition. And we had a really interesting conversation about the role that business can play in sorting out the emergency. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jen Austin. Jen is the policy director for the We Mean Business Coalition uh, and previously worked at the US State Department um, on climate policy around the time of the Paris Agreement and just afterwards. So Jen, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: I just wondered if you could tell us firstly a bit more about the We Mean Business Coalition.
1: Absolutely. So the Women Business Coalition is a global coalition of organizations working with leading businesses around the world that are taking action on climate and using those business voices to support ambitious policy in the policy space. So looking ultimately to use both activities of their own and throughout their supply chains and their voice in the broader conversation to drive decarbonization and help us achieve net zero by 2050.
0: Obviously in recent years we've seen civil society action on climate change becoming a lot more prevalent uh, the debates are changing the sort of the sense that this is an emergency becoming more accepted among the general public have we seen that reflected in the business sector
1: yes we have and the two are interrelated so certainly over the last 5 years if you look at the trends among business action on climate it's been growing extremely fast around the world starting you know, back five years ago when the Paris Agreement was coming together. That's around when we launched the Science-Based Targets Initiative, the RE100 campaign, and a few of the other corporate initiatives. Mm-hmm. There were a handful of companies then who were ready right. to make those commitments. We're now in a place we have nearly 800 companies committed to science-based emissions reduction targets through the Science-Based Targets Initiative. Almost 200 of those are aligned with 1.5 degree science to, to limit emissions to 1.5 degrees. The RE100 campaign, which is a commitment to power your global operations with only renewable energy, has over 100 companies committed. Some of those companies have already achieved their targets. Many are well on their way, and that's throughout their operations around the world. We've got corporate campaigns on electric vehicles, energy productivity, and increasingly heavy-emitting companies committing to all of those initiatives and recognizing that they, too, need to be a part of the story. So all of those are real signals of serious momentum in the corporate sector, the interplay between that and the growing call for climate action on the streets is also very real. And as you see, in as you mentioned in recent time, you know, we've got more and more public support for climate action. That reflects into the corporate space quite directly around employees and the workforce. Okay. And so mm-hmm. – CEOs, one of their most important jobs is to build a strong team, Mm. and very regularly we hear CEOs saying that one of the reasons that climate is moving up the agenda, in addition to sort of the impacts that they're seeing on the core of the business, is that in order to recruit and retain top talent, Mm. people want to be working for companies that they feel are doing the right thing on climate that are a part of the solution and certainly not continuing to be a huge part of the problem. And so that's a big motivator for the C-suite.
0: And in terms of the changes that are being made, do you see that as merely a response to direction from policymakers and governments? Or are we actually seeing businesses kind of step out in front of that agenda in that sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. And the two have an important interplay. And Mm -hmm. so, certainly, one of the things you hear most consistently from businesses is that they want policy that gives them clarity and confidence of the direction of travel of the economy. And so, what businesses want more than anything else is policy certainty, and at a time when climate is a growing risk to them, they want ambitious policy, they want to know what it is, and they want to be able to move in that direction. Sure. And so the policy landscape has a significant impact on their ability to move quickly, confidently, and to sort of invest, especially over the slightly longer term, with confidence. That said, business also has a lot of agency. It has a lot of ability to innovate their spending. Of course, they're the experts in their sectors. And so as they are scanning the market and looking at risks and opportunities, they're often the first to see and then go and pursue Mm -hmm. what some of the innovation opportunities are, what the market creation opportunities may be for in a zero-carbon economy. And so we kind of see that both are often pushing each other. And honestly, at any given time, sometimes the business sector is ahead and sometimes the policy ambition is a bit ahead. And so we call it the ambition loop, the sort of positive interplay between leadership on the corporate side, which demonstrates feasibility, helps people see the strong business case, helps drive innovation and actually develop solutions as one piece of the puzzle. That leadership encouraged from the business side – helps create support in the political space for policymakers to then move ahead with, again, even more ambitious and clear policies. Those clear policies help bring the rest of the market along and create conditions in which the leaders can keep forging ahead. It's a little bit of both. I would say uh, in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, we're in a place where, broadly speaking, the corporate sector is a bit ahead of many of the policymakers. And that's part of what makes this year so important. The countries of the world are supposed to come back to the table with updated nationally determined contributions. In many cases, the level of commitment among leading businesses is ahead of the level of ambition of those targets and some of the policies that stand behind them. It's another example of when and where the business sector is looking to countries of the world to take a courageous, ambitious step forward because that clarity will help them again continue to move ahead
0: this series is is partly about cop and the cop process so i just wondered if you have a perspective on how businesses have engaged with that climate negotiation at the un level
1: yeah absolutely and so over the years you know there's ways in which they engage somewhat more formally in the process and then i would say probably more influentially or more broadly ways in which business action and advocacy in the in the broader sphere mm. influence that process. You know, the cop itself is a series of multilateral meetings in which countries come together over time hashing out agreements often in a very well so far basically negotiating some of the specifics of what that global framework will look like since the Paris Agreement and then more recently the conclusion of the negotiations of the details of the Paris Agreement some of the rules underpinning it the entire world is kind of moving from a place of negotiations into implementation. Mm -hmm. The business community has been involved throughout. You know, I mean, at a very basic level, companies will interact with government officials as they're preparing for those meetings. And so, of course, you know, talking to them, helping make clear what their priorities are as they prepare for the meetings. Businesses have also participated in the meetings themselves. And so the UNFCCC has increasingly made space within and around the formal process for the voice of outside actors to be involved, because it's business actors, other elements of civil society, local governments who aren't maybe part of the formal negotiations, all need to be a part of implementing the solutions. And so starting to create space for that dialogue in and around the formal process is quite important. That's another issue that's actually up for discussion this year. The Paris Agreement created some space for what they call non-state actors but non-national government representatives to be involved in the process. And now that we're five years on, and again, as I said, really moving beyond many of the details of the negotiations, there's a discussion ongoing as to how to make sure that the innovators and those who can be a part of the solution are engaged in those conversations and frankly that we help collectively move beyond what feels like a negotiation in which people are trading things off you know you do this i'll do that but actually moving forward into a place in which we're saying how can we work together and when you're trying to work together to create solutions you need companies at the table you need investors at the table you need civil society at the table and of course you need governments there
0: I think it would be fair
1: to say that in some circles
0: in the media or perhaps in sort of general sort of public opinion, there is occasionally a criticism of of certain corporations to sort of say, oh, well, they're doing this because they're worried about the impact of their brand, uh, impact on their brand, if they don't act on climate change. And I just wondered if you had a view on whether that was a valid criticism or a valid question to ask, or whether actually your motivations shouldn't really matter as long as action is being taken.
1: A little bit of both, I guess. It's absolutely a valid question to ask. Are these commitments genuine? Are they serious and are they following through Mm. from a company perspective? At the end of the day, if they're committed and following through, I suppose I don't care too much about the motivations, actually. (laughs) Uh, But what you do want to make sure is that The criticism or the thing to be most careful about is that are they only talking the talk but not walking the walk? And so part of what we seek to do is align companies around a few campaigns that have external standards. And so the Science-Based Targets Initiative that I mentioned, for example, is essentially the gold standard of what emissions reduction targets should be. And it's a third-party methodology. They've crunched the numbers for different sectors in different parts of the world so that when a company sets forward a target, it's not just a company made this target up, it's pulling it from somewhere, and we all have to ask, is it good or is it not? By getting it validated by the Science-Based Targets Initiative, you can say that this target is aligned with what this company would need to do to be doing its part to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement. That's helpful so that when companies are putting forward targets, you know, is this just to look good or is this actually good? So that's super important and then even once a target is good and is out there we have to make sure you know it's it's reasonable for anybody to ask okay well did you just tell me you're going to do that or are you actually following through and we're at a place now, as I said, you know, now that there are hundreds of companies that have those targets, some of whom have been in place for a number of years, now is a perfect time to be making sure that companies are following through. We're seeing a lot of companies who are and who are achieving those targets oftentimes ahead of schedule. As I said, in terms of renewable energy and electric vehicles, there are companies that are you know, well ahead of schedule on that. And as we've seen in the world, costs often... Are fortunately falling faster than we may have expected. Mm -hmm. The markets are moving quickly in some places. And so Mm -hmm. there is a lot of progress from companies in terms of committing to targets, a lot of progress in terms of companies following through on those targets. But it's absolutely appropriate and important that they are held to a standard at which that's what the expectation is. And anything short of that, Shouldn't be applauded.
0: Now, the event that you were speaking at today at Chatham House was focusing quite a lot on Europe as the kind of regional focus. I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit about the sort of more global state of play. Have there been uh, areas of the world taking more action on this in terms of companies, or like is is a lot of the action sort of concentrated in in the West in inverted commas, or are developing country uh, countries also sort of taking a sort of more active position?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We're seeing a lot of progress around the world. And so when we look at the We Mean Business Take Action platform, there's over a thousand companies committed to bold climate action. I think they're headquartered in close to 50 different countries around the world. And so there's significant spread there. There is certainly, you know, more of those companies are in Europe, in the U.S. There are a lot in Japan. There are quite a few in India. And Mm -hmm. so we're seeing a good spread there. Importantly, people often ask me this, but we continue to see Action and increases in action and commitment in the U.S., despite the fact that the national government isn't pushing for climate action. And so the business case is strong enough that businesses are moving ahead anyway. We see a lot of action, as I mentioned, across a variety of sectors. And then, quite importantly, the companies we work with are amongst the biggest companies in the world. And so the majority are headquartered in the U.S. and Europe, though, as I said, important, you know, sort of hundreds headquartered elsewhere. And then many have supply chains that are very global. And a science-based emission reduction target covers your global supply chain if that's where the bulk of your emissions are from, as is often the case. And so the impact of these targets is really quite global and is helping drive progress around the world. So obviously, we're we're still
0: talking at quite a high kind of macro level when we're talking about you know what what moves the CEOs making, what policies they're bringing in in their own companies. But I was wondering, from a more kind of bottom up perspective, are we moving to a to a situation in 2020 and, and going forwards where consumers are making choices based on their view on climate change? And do you think that we'll see businesses having to respond to that a lot more than they perhaps previously have?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you alluded to earlier, there's growing support in the public in terms of everything from protests on the street to consumers talking more about climate and valuing climate more. I would say what what that translates to in some of the work that we've seen, you see more consumer-facing companies moving quickly mm-hmm. on climate. I would say, you know, broadly speaking, it's that companies are thinking more and more strategically about climate. They're moving it from an issue that is sort of a sideline issue in which used to be sort of more of an ESG-focused environmental and social governance-type issues being increasingly moved into sort of the strategy department or up into the C-suite. And that can be for a variety of reasons. Again, the more consumer-facing a company is, the more likely that public pressure is to weigh on them. Whether that means that consumers are ready to sort of pay more at the checkout counter I think, remains to be seen. And broadly speaking, you don't necessarily see people rushing to pay more on a transaction per transaction basis. However, the reality is that oftentimes these climate commitments made at a corporate level don't translate into necessarily a higher cost product at the till. And so that's a bit of a false dichotomy between thinking that, like, okay, are companies feeling enough pressure from consumers who are willing to pay more at each transaction that they're going to go spend more to deal with climate. In fact, it's like a broader look at what is their company doing? Who are they trying to appeal to and sell to? And then what are the risks of climate impacts to their ability to deliver those products or the opportunities in lower carbon innovation throughout their supply chain to allow them to deliver quality products at the price point that they need to be able to appeal to their consumers? And so it manifests a little bit differently in sort of a broader strategic question. And I think there's a real growing demand from consumers for companies to be doing the right thing on climate.
0: Jen Austin, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much. Appreciate the questions.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Pretty short, but we covered so much ground. If you want to listen to the full episode and if you want to listen to the other episodes in the Climate Briefing series, then you can subscribe via Apple. It's also available on the Chatham House website and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Ben Horton and Undercurrents will be back with you very shortly.